Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler of the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air and fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Here ends the reading. Morning, everyone. Let's pray. Our gracious Father and our God, we, uh, as we pray, we, we turn to your word. Please help us. Help us to understand, to hear, to understand, to be corrected, to be transformed, to be encouraged, to be, have our spirits lifted, we pray, and keep me from error, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, it's lovely to be here. I finally got here. I'm sorry about that. Uh, you were quick today, Joyce. You were quick. I was surprised we were up to where we were up to. I thought we were. Psalm 8 is an important psalm. It's a very short psalm, but it's an important psalm. Four times it is quoted in the New Testament, Matthew 21, 1 Corinthians 15, Ephesians 1, and as we read, I assume, Hebrews 2. It talks of humanity's place, our place, in God's creation. It starts, of course, verses 1 to 2 with God's majesty. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's in the context of how creation bellows at you day and night of God's might, his greatness and his power. How majestic is your name, says David. What is that name? It's that capital letters Lord, which means... It's God's covenant name, isn't it? It's the name that Moses was given and it's the name that they use. It's their special name. Who they are as Israel, they are God's sons. That name is special to them. It represents their special relationship. If you don't want to know anyone, you don't tell them your name. When they ring up from overseas and there's a strange number, what do you want to do? You want to hang up. You don't want to tell them your name. They seem to know it anyway. You don't want to gauge them. You don't want to tell them anything. You just want to get out of their presence. God 
gave the people of Israel his name. It was their special possession. It's why those words, Lord, are in capital. But notice it's right next to a Lord that's not in capital. Oh, Lord, our covenant God, our Lord, because Hebrew has more than one name for God, more than one word for God. As you know, that name was not pronounced, isn't pronounced in a, if you're in a, uh, if you're in a Jewish service, you will not hear that name mentioned. You will hear Adonai. So as they read the Hebrew, they will not read that name. In fact, they actually don't know how to pronounce that name. It was so holy, they didn't pronounce it. It's why we have the version, two versions of it. The one you probably know when people came along and did the English they did Jehovah. That's the name you know. Have you ever heard the word Jehovah before? That's because we guessed that's what that name was pronounced as. We know the three letters, the four letters, sorry, Y-H-W-H. How did that word work? Well, we guessed Jehovah. Well, that was wrong. That's not how Hebrew works. We know that because Hebrew is now an alive language. It was a dead language. But, of course, with the state of Israel, it became alive. As we did more and more work, as they did more and more work, we were educated, and we now know that's not how you pronounce God's name. Some people think we shouldn't pronounce God's name. Still, we might pronounce it as Yahweh. Y-A-H-W-E-H. That's how that word spelled. Nevertheless, it's the special name that God gave them, that they would know him by his name. It's a picture, as we said, of God walking in Genesis chapter 1 to 3, walking in the same garden that he created for us, the place that he gave the human race in Adam and Eve. But that, of course, was lost because of their rebellion, because of sin. And that closeness of relationship where humans and God were together was cut. When God gave Israel his name, he is reintroducing that closeness and that relationship. It's a special name. And so David says, oh, our covenant God, our God, how majestic is your name in all your earth. He is so majestic, he is so powerful that nothing can challenge him. Verse 2, from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. Now, poetry works a bit differently. You know that. This is poetry. It speaks emotionally. It doesn't always mean logically. That's how poetry works. It evokes feelings. It evokes different emotions. It evokes, it paints pictures. And the picture that is painted here is God can use 
the weakest, seemingly useless thing in our world to defeat his enemies. So powerful is he. So mighty, he can even use the speech of babes and infants. How do babes and infants speak? Well, they're cute. <laughs> You've got to say that. Do they make a lot of sense? Well, they may not. That's the picture. What seems to be not really worthwhile in, in the sense God can use all things. He can use the weakest things to overcome any opposition. He is that powerful. And verse 3 to 8 talks about who or what is humankind. Many people, I don't know if you uh, come across them, but uh, many people in the world think that our world is, has no meaning at all. That's actually a crazy question to say, what does it mean to be human? It means nothing, they say. They say we're just a lucky mutation of a single cell that managed to develop into us, that we and the amoebas have something in common. Now, truthfully, when I'm talking to them, sometimes I agree with them, yes. Psalm 8 has a very different answer. Psalm 8 says, uh, David says, what is the son of man that you care for him? What is man that you care for us? Uh, David's sense here is one of astonishment. As he looks at the glory of God, he notices, he wonders why or how or why we would care for us. Why do you, as you look at the world? David notices, too, that we are insignificant. Human beings, though, are special in God's eyes. David's answer to the question, why do you care for us? Is it God made us a little lower than the heavenly beings? or God, and by doing so, crowned us with glory and honour. Though the Lord loves all he has created, humans are actually extra special. It ref he's reflecting on Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when, he's talk when we're talked about being made in the image of God. Now, that's a controversial thing to say. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It's certainly not that we look like him. He's not a big guy. There are places, uh, thinking of uh, the Mormons, who actually think that God is a big guy. That's not right. Neither is the one, is it that he controls and we control because that's <clears throat> that would be confusing a role with who we are. It does help when you get the pages in the right order. Now I know why I've been so confused for a while. There's that page I needed. There you go. God has made us in his image, and what that means is that we are 
created to be his caretakers, the rulers of his world, which he has placed in our, under us. You, God, made us a little lower than the heavenly beings. You crowned us with glory and honour. Humankind is made in God's image. How have we done? The answer to that is verse 7 to 8, which says we rule over all things, is we haven't done much of a job. We seem to have wrecked the planet with our greed and our wars, with our pollution. The animals which we were to care for are threatened by us, extinct. They're relying on us to take care of the world as we were meant to, as in the garden, but we haven't been able to do that. Are we really able to rule over the world? Well, the answer is basically no. Floods, droughts, earthquakes, all the sickness, all these things remind us constantly of our fragility in our world. If we were meant to be rulers, which is Psalms 8 answer to who we are, God's carers takers for this world, we were meant to rule in the way God rules. But instead, the human race are tyrants. We're not truthful. We don't like justice. More importantly, we have been cut off from the God who made us because we have sinned against him. We don't have that communication. We ignored his directions. We've gone our own way. And because of that, we don't actually rule at all. We're running everything down and foreclosure seems to be looming upon us. Psalm 8 is meant to be about us but we can't help look at it and notice that we have failed. And yet God has still left us in the same role. It's a puzzle. It's a puzzle for David. It's a puzzle for us. Our failure has meant that God had to act. And so God sent the fulfilment of Psalm 8 in his own son, the Lord Jesus. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, we see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour. Jesus, God's own son, became human. He came, as the New Testament will say, as the second Adam. It was God starting again, a new humanity that fulfills his purpose for us, a new humanity that fulfills Psalm 8. Jesus walked when he walked. 
He walked in constant communion and fellowship with his father. He pleased him in every way. When the storm raged, he stopped it. When he was confronted by sickness, he healed it. When he was confronted by death, he could give life. More importantly, he was the true image of God who relied on him totally. What does it mean to be <clears throat> made in the image of God? In the, in the end, the answer is the Lord Jesus. There was nothing that he did that was not what his father wanted him to do. He obeyed his father perfectly because he walked in that constant relationship. He and the father had a personal relationship. They were one. He is the real image of God. He is the one whom we need to be like. Jesus knows that. And that's why he came also as a faithful, obedient servant. And he gave his life that we might receive it. He gave his life that we might also with him inherit the real image of who we are meant to be. The writer of Hebrews said, Jesus suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The real image of God came into our world, the humans that were meant to be, and he died in our place to free humanity from death. He did that to make sure we could be like Psalm 8. Our independence from God has made our world and our ruling of this world completely and utterly chaotic, useless, and actually fraught with so much trouble. God has declared that he will start again. At the end of the Bible, the picture of that you are given is God creates a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more sickness, mourning, death or pain. In Jesus, God has started that new humanity and you have been incorporated into it if you believe and trust in him. By putting your trust in him, though you were once members of Adam's helpless race, you have been given a place in the second Adam's new creation. And this humanity, which God is bringing about, will enjoy his love and care for eternity. We bring nothing. God provides everything in Jesus. And so as we turn and trust in this true image he gives to us by his grace and love, life, new life, new humanity, transformed in him. 
Jesus is the great rescue mission from the mess we've created and we live in. He is the answer to Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we... uh, we realise that we have been given a wonderful thing in Jesus. We realise we are not what we should be. We are out of step with you. Our world is out of step with you. We are part of that world. We don't control. We can't control. Our control is fraught with self-interest, selfish ambition, exploitation, injustice. Lord, in Jesus, you have brought out the solution to our problems and to our problem in particular that we need forgiveness and we need life. Lord, you have transferred us from death to life. We pray that we might be people who trust in you, and embrace the spirit that you have given us, that he is poured out into our lives to transform us, change us into new creations, a new creation, a new humanity in Jesus. We're very thankful. Our hearts overflow with thanks to you who has transferred us from death to life, who has rescued us in Jesus And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to transform us into what you want us to be. And we look forward to the day when we will be with you forever in your creation, knowing safe and secure in your place and knowing you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.